If you'd like to turn your Bibles to the book of Jonah, I'll be reading from chapter 3, verse 10 to 4, verse 11. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night, and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons that do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, let me add my welcome to, to uh, Jonathan's. As, as Jonathan mentioned, my name's Johnny. I'm the, the pastor and part of the leadership team here at Hebron. Uh, and I do think I see, I see a number of uh, visiting faces this morning, perhaps uh, on holiday uh, or perhaps new to, to Hebron or new to the city. You are very, very welcome among us, as are those who've been around for a little bit longer. And um, please do uh, make yourself known at the end of the service. If you're so minded, please don't disappear without speaking to someone. We'd love to get to know you a bit better uh, this morning. Uh, let me extend a particular welcome this morning too to the Croix family, I'll ask you to forgive my pronunciation, um, who've re- recently arrived, having moved to Aberdeen and to Hebron for a few months from a church in France. We're delighted to have you with us, and we hope you feel very welcome and pray that you have a fruitful time here at Hebron and in Aberdeen. Um, now, uh, we're going to spend the next few minutes together thinking about Jonah chapter 4, which has been very ably read for us. Thank you to Johan. I did assure him that if you want to not be asked to do something again, do it badly the first time. Unfortunately, he did it well last week and was asked again this week, and he did it very well both times. But we're going to, to think about that chapter together over the next few minutes. Uh, before we do that, though, let me, let me pray for us and ask for God's help. Our God and Father, you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. We praise you that that is the case. And we ask now that you would please help us to have hearts that are more and more like yours. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, a, a number of years ago, a, a close friend of mine became pretty seriously unwell. And it came as a bit of a shock. She was in her early 30s at the time, and she was sent to hospital for a number of tests, including a fairly detailed scan 
of her heart. And uh, she told me that they, they showed her images from the outcome, uh, outcome of her scan, which on its own, it didn't mean a great deal to her. Until they showed her her scan, alongside a picture of what a heart is meant to look like. And from that comparison, it was clear that there was a defect with her own heart. In fact, they came to find that there was a hole in her heart, a hole that wasn't meant to be there. Now, she assured me that wasn't quite as terrifying as it sounds to the medically ignorant like me, and she is now okay. But still, it wasn't exactly good news. In addition to the the hassle of needing to undergo further medical procedures and needing to take various medications, well, it can be a fairly unsettling thing to be shown that there's an issue with your heart. Your heart's a fairly important part of your body, isn't it? You don't particularly want to find out that not all is as it should be. And yet in one sense, I'm afraid that some of us are in for a similar experience this morning. We're going to be shown... But spiritually speaking, our hearts are not as they ought to be. This is the final Sunday we'll be spending in the book of Jonah. And by the end of chapter 3 last week, we were probably just about ready for the story to end. Jonah had been told, if you remember, by God to go and preach to a particularly prickly group of people called the Ninevites to tell them that they were in deep, deep trouble. In response to that command, Jonah had instead run away. But after an altercation with a storm and a famous and fairly sizable fish, he ended up changing his mind. And he finally obeyed God. He went to preach to the Ninevites. And we saw last week that against all of the odds, the Ninevites listened to Jonah. And so we read the last verse of chapter 3. When God saw what they did, that's the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil ways... He relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And so all that's left by the end of Jonah 3 is for Jonah to ride off into the sunset and for everyone to live happily ever after. But that's not where things end, is it? In this final chapter of the book, Jonah gets grumpy. More than grumpy, actually. He's absolutely furious. Chapter 4, verse 1 It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And it is quite a jarring story to what up until now seems to have been quite a neat ending. But that isn't an accident. It's meant to be a jarring ending to the story, because you see, the end game in the story of Jonah isn't that Jonah finally obeys God and does what he's told, It isn't even that the people of Nineveh hear Jonah's message and turn to God. No, right at the heart of the book of Jonah is the heart of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 4, we're given a spiritual heart scan, if you like. We're shown what really moves and motivates Jonah. And you see, what's so instructive is that we're not only shown what Jonah's heart looks like, We're also shown Jonah's heart alongside a picture of God's heart. We're shown what moves and motivates the creator God. And much like with my friend, it's in seeing those two pictures side by side. The healthy heart alongside Jonah's heart that we see there is a real problem for Jonah. That his heart doesn't look like what it ought to look like. 
and that isn't just helpful in that it gives us a clear sense as to who Jonah was and, and what he was all about all those years ago. It's instructive in what it tells us about ourselves. I've said a number of times through this series, Jonah will hold up a mirror to us to show us whether we might be more like Jonah than we think. And whether, therefore, we might need some fairly significant intervention when it comes to our hearts too. We're going to think about that under a couple of headings this morning. Firstly, Jonah is angry because his heart isn't for others' eternal interests as God's is. Now, you might be wondering whether I've imposed a heart scan illustration onto Jonah chapter 4 because it's a neat way uh, to introduce a talk. But I really do think we're meant to see this whole chapter as being a side-by-side comparison between God and Jonah. Remember how things ended last week in chapter 3. God has relented from the judgment he was going to rightly bring down on the people of Nineveh. At which point we read chapter 4 verse 1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. God is gracious and merciful. And that's what moved him to act as he did towards the people of Nineveh. What caused him ultimately to to rescue them. Contrast that with Jonah's heart. Verse 1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. One heart that's compassionate, even to the people of Nineveh, and another that's angry at compassion being shown to them. Now, we are still left wondering exactly why it is that Jonah's quite so grumpy about God being kind to Nineveh. There are a range of possibilities, and you might have heard some of those possibilities before if you're familiar with the book of Jonah. Maybe it's all about race, for example. Jonah didn't like people like the Ninevites because they were different from the Israelites. They weren't like him, if you like. Or perhaps he didn't like being sent to Nineveh because we know from elsewhere in the Bible that Jonah had had a a fairly successful career as a prophet back in Israel. And and so going to Nineveh was was sort of like being sent on a horrible secondment with work that he really didn't like. Both of those are possible. Neither are crystal clear from the text itself, though. What the text does tell us, and tells us multiple times, as we saw last week, is that the people of Nineveh were an evil bunch. If you remember, that's what triggered God sending Jonah in the first place. He said, chapter 1, verse 2, Arise, go to to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. They are an evil bunch. And even though that's the case, and even though God is just, And will judge people who rebel against him. Jonah also knows that God is the kind of God who could relent from that judgment. And in fact, that's exactly what Jonah says made him run away in the first place. I knew you were kind. I knew you were forgiving. And so even though the Ninevites are such a brutal and a violent and an undeserving lot, I knew you were the kind of God who could relent from judging them. That's why he's angry. And if you've been here for our series in the book of Jonah, well, there's a real irony to that. 
This whole story began with Jonah running away from God, didn't it? Completely rejecting him and what he'd called him to do. And yet God showed extraordinary grace towards Jonah in pursuing this prophet. He saved him from certain death in chapter 2. And here's Jonah, a short while later, just wishing that God wouldn't be quite so gracious. It's ironic, and God actually highlights that irony for us. Chapter 4, verse 4. Do you do well to be angry? Or in other words, do you have any right to be angry that I'm a kind and a gracious God? What would it be like for you if I wasn't like that, Jonah? Frankly, you'd be sleeping with the fishes right now. Now that's a scan, I think, of Jonah's heart. But what does any of that have to do with us? The television is awash now with uh, medical reality TV shows, programs that follow real-life medics uh, through their normal working lives, shows like One Born Every Minute or or 24 Hours in A&E, and even regular slots for for, for GPs on on talk shows or in radio call-ins where they answer callers' questions about their various medical issues, which always seems like quite a bold thing to do, to call up the television and ask for help with your personal medical problems, but there we are. I wonder if you're anything like me, you're the kind of person who's fairly ignorant to most things medical, and uh, you hear someone else being diagnosed with a particular condition, and you start to wonder if you might have it too. Anyone else? So you put two and two together, and you conclude that your slight headache might just mean that you have dengue fever too. I mentioned before that Jonah 4 is a, a scan of Jonah's heart and shows us big defects there. And for us, seeing that scan is meant, I think, to do the same thing as I do watching a medical TV program. We're meant, I think, to be asking ourselves, might I just have that condition too? Might my heart be be hard and and, and churlish like Jonah's? Let me put it in another way. If, If last week the big question was whether God is able to rescue unlikely and rebellious people. Can he do it? Was the question. Well, this week, the question Jonah's forcing us to consider is, do you want him to? See, God's mercy towards people is always kind. It's always undeserved. And where he shows that mercy is of his own choosing. He is sovereign. He is in control of all things. That much was true for the Ninevites, just as it was true for Jonah. And it makes Jonah's anger towards God seem ridiculous, hypocritical, churlish even, and yet it does just the same for us. If you're here this morning and and would describe yourself as being a Christian, you are someone who was once an absolute rebel to God. The language the Bible would use for it actually is that you were his enemy, you were opposed to him. And yet God in his kindness didn't send you to the bottom of the ocean as he did to Jonah. He didn't judge you as he promised to do to the Ninevites and has done to all who rebel against him. Instead, he has rescued you by the death of his son, Jesus Christ. That is how he has treated you if you are a Christian. And yet just how easy it is to take for granted the grace that God has shown to me and to wish that he wouldn't be quite so gracious to other people. Not when we think of the people we know and love who don't know Jesus, of course. But are there certain people 
of whom we might think they deserve what they've got coming to them. You see this very often in the world of uh, Christian Union events weeks among people who are hearing the Christian message for the first time. I've found on a number of occasions that I've given talks at CU events where I've spelled out just how radical the grace of God is and spelled it out because it is liberating and wonderful. It is the good news of Jesus, the idea that our sins, they are many, we have rebelled against God and are in worse trouble than we realize, and yet his mercy is more. He is so kind to us. And most people, even if they don't, they aren't convinced of it personally themselves, they can at least start by understanding why that might be, hypothetically, good news. But as they start to think through the implications, well, it can quickly turn into quite bad news. Are you trying to tell me that even someone who's done really dreadful things to other people could still be forgiven if they turn to God and ask for his mercy, comes the question. To which the answer, Jonah chapter 4, well, Jonah chapter 3 really, is yes. That's an answer a lot of people just don't like very much. And it isn't just a problem for people who wouldn't call themselves Christians. I remember a conversation with another uh, Christian, a young man. We were talking about uh, God's kindness, his undeserved mercy towards people like us, and the fact that it is more outrageous than we ever dare think. And as we spoke and things started kind of tumbling out, the man confessed that he'd been treated really, really poorly by someone else deep in his past. And he said that he just could never get his heart around the fact that God could ever forgive that person, given how they treated him in the past. Now, God's judgment is always right, and it is good. And it is a right craving, a right desire or impulse to long for justice to be done in the world. And at the same time, Jonah chapter 4, God is a God who is abounding in steadfast love, who relents from disaster, who has done so for us if we are his people. And so what I want to ask of you this morning, what I think Jonah 4 would ask of us this morning is whether we share his heart. If you're a Christian, do you share God's heart that even though all people deserve his judgment, that his offer of mercy is made known to all people, no matter how rebellious they might have been? Even for the person in your office who's so clearly living in a way that dishonors God and and who makes life so very difficult for you to be a Christian. For the person in society whose behavior would make you really despise them even for the person who has done you or someone you love harm it's important to say that god's sense of justice is more keenly far more keenly tuned than yours or mine and that god himself has been more deeply grieved by people's behaviors than any of us have ever been And one day, all of those wrongs will be dealt with. Justice will be done. He has promised as much. And at the same time, he is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so for anyone who has turned to him, anyone who has turned to him and asked his mercy, he will see their punishment borne by his son on the cross rather than by the rebellious individual themselves. He will show mercy. That is his heart. 
And Jonah is angry because he doesn't share God's gracious heart for other people's salvation. And so the first question for us this morning is, is our heart like God's or is our heart like Jonah's? And now perhaps you're here this morning and wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian. And that does sound pretty outrageous to you. We might be content with the idea that the dividing line between people who are worthy of God's judgment and people who aren't is the dividing line between me and sort of mass murderers or violent criminals. But you see, that isn't the dividing line in the Bible. The dividing line ultimately falls between people who have rejected God, who have rebelled against him, and those who haven't. And you see, the problem that leaves each one of us with is that there is only one who stands on the those who haven't rejected God's side of the line. His name's Jesus. Everyone else is on the other side. You and me and Jonah and the Ninevites, all included. All of us have rejected our maker. And so you see, God's perfect justice, the justice that we do so long for in the world, well, it actually means that we should all be judged too. Which is why the grace of God is such extraordinarily good news. That the God of the universe would love you so very much that he would send his son so that the justice that ought to fall on you, on me, on Jonah, on the Ninevites for our rebellion against our maker would instead fall on him. So the question that leaves you with, actually, before that that first question I posed a moment or two ago about whether you share God's heart or Jonah's heart, the question that leaves you with, in the first instance, is whether you can see how kind he's been to you. Whether you'll acknowledge your rejection of him. And that by rights, well, you should face his judgment. And so ask him for his mercy, for his rescue. Now, if that rings any bells with you, or if you'd like to speak more about that, perhaps it offends you, please do grab me after the service for a chat. I'd be really pleased to to speak with you and to do my best to answer any questions you might have. That, though, isn't quite the end of Jonah, is it? Nor, in fact, is it an end to Jonah's grumping. He goes off on one again from verse 5, and this time... We aren't just shown that he isn't concerned about other people. We're shown that he is concerned about himself. Let's look at that under our second heading this morning. Jonah is angry because his heart is for his own interests. After that that first exchange between Jonah and God, Jonah makes his way outside the city of Nineveh. He sets up camp in in a booth or a makeshift shelter, verse 5, and he does so in a place that will give him a good vantage point to find out what will end up happening to the city after all. And that tells us that he might not think that chapter 3, verse 10 is quite a foregone conclusion yet. Perhaps he's waiting for God to destroy the people of Nineveh after all. Or maybe he's waiting for the people to go back to their former ways. Surely it's only a matter of time and God will get fed up with them again. Either way, chapter 3, verse 10 isn't a done deal yet as far as he's concerned. He's hoping and waiting for things to unravel. And while he's waiting, verse 6, God causes a plant to grow up, which shelters Jonah from the baking sun. 
That comes as welcome relief to Jonah. He is exceedingly glad, says the author. And in a baking hot environment, uh, unlike Aberdeen, I guess, you might understand why he is so glad of the shade. But that gladness doesn't last long. The next morning, a worm eats the plant. It dies away again, leaving Jonah completely exposed to the elements, at which point, for a second time, he becomes angry. Very angry. Angry enough, verse 9, to die. And this time, he isn't angry because he doesn't share God's concern for other people and their interests, but because he has a particular concern for himself and his own interests. I wonder if you noticed that as we read a few minutes ago. Jonah is more concerned about the gift that God has given to him, the, the, the plant, and about the benefit he can get from that, than for the people God has made. That's the second picture we're given of Jonah's heart. It's a heart that is sort of bent in on itself. And again, that heart is contrasted with God's heart. Read with me again, verse 10, if you would. You pity the plant, says God, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Jonah's more concerned, more emotionally moved by the fate of this plant and its implications for his own interests than by the eternal fate of 120,000 people. And that does take us one step further, I think, when we come to apply Jonah chapter 4 to ourselves. Filmmaker and director Sam Mendes tells the story of a general in the British Army during the First World War who ordered two of the soldiers under his command to deliver a handwritten note to someone else at another part of the front line. That wasn't all that unusual as an order. Dispatch riders were, were used pretty widely during both world wars. But what was unusual was the level of personal hardship involved in delivering the note. It involved a journey across no man's land and through occupied enemy territory. It was a very, very difficult and potentially very costly mission. So why on earth did the officer think it was worth risking the lives of these his two men? And why did the two men themselves think it was worth going? They were motivated to go. They weren't going under duress in the story. Well, because the message they were delivering would save the lives of hundreds of men by preventing them from walking into a trap that had been set by enemy soldiers. And so you see, when weighing those two things against each other, the importance of the message and the hardship required to deliver it, well, the importance of the message justified the hardship. And that, I think, is the kind of value call we're being asked to make by Jonah chapter 4, I think. So far, we've been asking ourselves, do we care about people like God does? But we can't take things a step further than that. We can instead ask, what do we care about more? You see, telling people about Jesus can be a very costly thing personally. It can cost us reputationally, cost us time or resources. 
cost us financially even as we give to to local or global missions. And that means that the decision about whether to do that or not, it often involves a weighing, doesn't it? A weighing of priorities. Preserve my reputation on the one hand or speak about Jesus on the other. Preserve my spare evenings on the one hand or commit to serve a particular outreach ministry, perhaps like legacy on the other. Now, I don't want you to mishear me. There can be good reasons not to commit to every outreach ministry. But Jonah chapter 4 would at least have us consider, I think, do my actions suggest that I care more about my personal and even material interests than I do about the eternal interests of those people? Which priority moves me more? Now, the irony being, of course, that just as the plant was a short-lived gift to Jonah, so are the interests we are so often desperate to protect, whether financial or reputational or comfort. Now, I am aware that's a very strong message, and it might sound a bit too strong to some of us. Please let me assure you, this isn't meant to be some kind of telling off, partly because I know that a lot of people here are absolutely committed to getting the good news of Jesus out to people and do so sacrificially. And partly because a telling off really changed anyone's heart, did it? And that is God's big objective with Jonah chapter 4, I think. It isn't just a call to get off your backside and do something. It's meant to bring about heart change. And so rather than seeing this as a telling off, we'll see it as a heart scan. It's showing things as they really are just now. And if you look at a heart scan and you find there might be a, a problem, well, you are right to take action, aren't you? And so can I encourage you, if you're a Christian and you do see aspects, at least, of Jonah that resonate with you, can I encourage you to do just that, to take action? Think even now through the kinds of people you're going to meet and spend time with this week, the kinds of conversations you're likely to have in your office, maybe not so much in a classroom now there are summer holidays, but, but in various different contexts, coffee shops, golf courses perhaps even. Think through the kinds of conversations you're likely to have and ask God for his help. His help to see those people and see those situations and conversations as he sees them. To be more motivated by the plight of people around us than by our own interests to have heart change and therefore to boldly speak to people about Jesus. Now, we aren't Jonah. None of us have ever found ourselves in the belly of a fish. But we have been rescued in no less miraculous a manner if we are Christians from sin and its consequences, from death and eternal separation from our God, and we are every bit as undeserving of that rescue as Jonah was and as the people of Nineveh were, and yet he has nonetheless rescued us. And so he calls us to share his heart, his gracious and loving and compassionate heart for people who don't yet know him, and to take the good news of his mercy to similarly, other similarly undeserving folk like us, even when that's personally costly. So let's ask him for his help to have hearts like his and for his help 
to go and tell. Okay, let's pray to that end just now. Let me close us in prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for the truths of Jonah chapter 4. For the reminder that you are mighty and compassionate. Abounding in steadfast love. The one who has showed that love to even such as us. And so we ask this morning that you would please help us each to appreciate that. Give us hearts that are moved by your compassion for us. And so moved to share that compassion for others. We call other people to trust in you too. Even when that might be a personally costly thing for us to do. And we do ask too for any here who have yet to trust in you. That in your kindness. You would please act to draw them to yourself. That they too would know you to be gracious and compassionate. Abounding in steadfast love. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.